joy. And I think that we just experienced some of that in our worship this morning. It is a special day today because we are finishing the prophets. Uh, it has not been easy to study the prophets. It's not been easy to hear or listen to the word of God from the prophets. But boy, has it been beneficial, at least for me, to hear the word of God wash over my soul as we studied these texts of scriptures, these difficult texts of scriptures. I mean, who preaches Haggai, right? Nahum, Zephaniah. But we have studied these together and I feel as if our body is is growing together as we hear these hard texts from these prophets. And we come to the last prophet, Malachi, the great Italian prophet. Uh, that joke really never gets old. Thank you for laughing at it. Um, but Malachi is... Uh, a great book, and um, we've been doing this series, Christ in All of Scripture. If you're here for the first time, we've been attempting to preach through every Old Testament book, one central text showing us what the, the whole book is about, but also showing to us a picture of Jesus. And um, we don't do this for Advancement of our biblical knowledge. Um, you know, Jesus talked to the Old Testament scribes and Pharisees. And one of the things that he said to them is John chapter 5 verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. We don't study these scriptures for our own knowledge of the word. We study them so that we can see Jesus and apply them to our own life. And in that, we have life because we see Christ and we submit to him. We don't want to miss that. These scriptures, as we finish the prophets, bear witness about Christ. God's plan of salvation was not an accident. It was not plan B. It was the sovereign plan of God. And the prophets told us this. They told us where he would come from, how he would come, what he would do when he came, and how he would save God's people and how they should respond to God's great salvation. And by seeing the scriptures, we submit to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've worked through three major prophets and 12 minor prophets. And I'm going to give you just a synopsis 
just a one-sentence synopsis of each book. So refreshing your mind as we finish today in Malachi. We'll begin the other writings next week, so don't worry. We're still in the Old Testament. Psalms is next week. Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, etc. as the other writings ending with First and Second Chronicles. So here's what it says. In Isaiah, we learned there will be better days ahead. A day in which God himself will swallow up death forever. In Jeremiah, there will be a new covenant in which God will forgive sin. In Ezekiel, God will give his people a new heart and place his spirit within them. In Hosea, God's steadfast love pursues even an adulterous people. In Joel, God will restore to you the years the swarming locusts have eaten. In Amos, he is the God who cares about how we live, the just God. In Obadiah, the day of the Lord is near and his judgment will come upon the nations. In Jonah, he is the God who answers our call even if we find ourselves in the bottom of the sea. In Micah, God is sending a ruler to shepherd his people and he will become from Bethlehem. In Nahum, God is the great avenger, not clearing the guilty. In Habakkuk, he is the God who will come, therefore, Wait upon the Lord. In Zephaniah, God will judge the prideful, therefore humble yourself. In Haggai, God is sovereign, therefore get to work. In Zechariah, he is the high priest king who is coming, who was promised from days of old. That is where we have been, church, and it is glorious. And where we are going today is Malachi. No, Malachi. God summarizes what has happened in Israel's history here in the book of Malachi. God's people going their own way, profaning the covenant. And yet God still loves his people. And he will still send the Messiah. Even though... They are unfaithful to their God. Malachi gets to some heart issues here. In his day, some that may affect us in our day. He gets right to the point, and sometimes reading the book of Malachi can hurt a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Because God's people still have problems. After the great revival and reforms during the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, the preaching of the great prophets Haggai and Zechariah, God's people have again wandered from the Lord. They do all the rituals, but their hearts are far from the Lord God Almighty. So Malachi gives this message. And after this message, after these words, there's 400 years of silence. 400 years of Malachi's message ringing in the ears of God's people as they await God's Messiah. They were to reflect upon the word until a similar message comes from the next prophet after Malachi 
who is John the Baptist. As he proclaims, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So during the time of Malachi, the people have seen the temple rebuilt. They've seen the walls rebuilt. They've seen the city of Jerusalem rebuilt. The the priesthood and the sacrifices restored. The people are waiting for the coming Messiah as promised by all the prophets. And they say, where is the Lord? And while they waited upon the Lord, God's people became complacent in their worship. They, like their forefathers, compromised in their obedience to the word of God. You see, we, like the days of Malachi, are waiting. This time we're waiting for his second coming. And let us, church, while we wait for the Lord, not become complacent in our worship. Let us respond to the word of God this morning. Let's read together Malachi chapter 2, verse 17, as we will begin there. If you'll stand with me in the reading of God's word, we, we see this as training us in righteousness, the Old Testament pointing us to the very Son of God who will come, who will save God's people, that we respond to him in worship. Malachi chapter 2, it's the last book of the Old Testament in your Bible right before Matthew. Malachi chapter 2, verse 17, you have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil and is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger. And he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years." Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against those, the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow, the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. You can be seated. Father, we ask that your word would speak to us this morning from Malachi. That these truths would ring 
in our ears that we could not get away from the steadfast love of the Lord God Almighty. Father, we thank you that we are not consumed even though we are deserving of your judgment. You bring about salvation through Christ. Help us to learn how to walk in your ways, to respond to the gospel in our hearts in a deep and meaningful way that leads us to love you and to one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the hardest things to do as a new parent, and we have many new parents um, in, in, in our church in today's world, our, our, our nursery is, is busting at the seams. So if you want to ever volunteer, we have plenty of babies to hold. But one of the hardest things to do as a new parent is sleep, right? I think we can all agree on that, those of us who have been new parents, if you if I see you nodding as a new parent, I'm, I'm going to give uh, I'll I'll know why. So I'll I'll give grace on that. If you're a grandparent, I'll just assume that you had the grandkids this weekend. So we're we're good either way. So, um, but issues abound for parents of young children. But bedtime, sleeping, all of these things seem to be on the top of the list. People have made millions of dollars writing books and videos claiming to find the holy grail of sleep, okay? This, this happens often. Um, we used to do everything Im- imaginable, okay? When we had bedtime routine, as a part of bedtime routine, we watched this silly show. I don't know if, if you've seen it, but uh, um, what, what was the show called? Guess how much I love you. And, and I would just kind of poke my eyeballs out and, and, and thinking, wow, this is amazing. Um, and at one point, uh, Avery, our oldest, was a great sleeper. Trip was the problem. But when Avery was two and a half, she decided that she no longer wanted to stay in the crib when it was be- time for bedtime. And she kept crying and, and standing up, and, and we didn't have a clue what was going on. So, so we'd go in and say, it's night-night time, you know, and do everything trick imaginable, trying to get her to lay down in her crib. So I guess she hit this point in which she just decided she didn't want to be in the bars, right? Like, I want to be free, and so she decided that she was going to be free and she crawled out on her own only to hear on the monitor a loud thud and crying associated with that. She would go on to break her arm with that fall. And she learned the hard way that it was best to stay in the bed to listen to father and mother. Fast forward a few weeks, the arm as well. We got her this big girl bed thinking maybe she just needed to feel like she could get out. But again, when the first night happened, you know, she could actually now get out. She didn't have the bars. She could 
be free, but we told her once you, we tuck you in, um, you needed to stay asleep until your alarm went off in the morning. But knowing my daughter, I knew this was probably going to be a test of boundaries. So we tell her good night, and I'm watching the monitor. And what she does, she kind of lays there, tosses back and forth, is thinking about getting out of the bed, and then she has the audacity to get out of the bed, but not only to get out of the bed, but then to go towards the door. Not only to go towards the door, to put her hand on the doorknob. Not only to go towards the door to put her hand on the doorknob, but to turn the doorknob. And then to open the door. And not only to open the door, but then to walk out of the door. Now, now we're in, we're in, we're in real problems here. I wonder what was going through her head was probably what was going through head, the head of the people in Malachi's day. Does it really matter if I stay in my bed? Does it really matter if I obey the Lord fully? Who will know? I mean, it's not a big deal. Does God really care? Does my daddy really care? Now back to the story with my daughter. We're in a predicament because I'm watching all this take place on the monitor and... In the big daddy voice, I come into the hallway with a stern point saying, get back in bed. And she, in her horror, sees me, turns and runs into the bed like a good little girl and goes right to sleep. Never again to leave in the night. Yes, yes, that's what happened. The people in Malachi's day, you see, they were complacent. They didn't know if the Lord cared whether they brought their first and their best to the altar to be sacrificed. They didn't think that the Lord cared about their marriage and how they were treating their spouse and how it was ending in divorce. They didn't think that God cared if they were giving their tithe. And Malachi says the Lord does care. In fact, he is coming. And he will separate those who are his who fear the Lord and those who do not fear the Lord. You see, Malachi begins the book with a statement in Malachi chapter 1 verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob. But Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. That's an interesting opening to the book, isn't it? 
I have loved you. How have you loved us? Well, I've destroyed Esau. Esau, you see, like Israel, the Edomites, they have been unfaithful and judgment of God has come upon them. Yet Esau and the Edomites cannot rebuild. And yet God has rebuilt his city. He has restored his people to himself. Israel does not deserve to be restored back to God. But because of God's steadfast love of his people, he saves them. Mm. How have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. God shows his love to Israel through his salvation of Israel. Now verse 217, where we begin our text this morning, you, talking about the people, Malachi says, you, the people of God, have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him by saying everyone who does evil and is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them? Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. This is our first point this morning. The Lord of justice is coming. You see, the question the people were asking, how have you loved us, the beginning of the book, but now it's, where is God? Where is the God of justice? If, if you read the Old Testament, this is, this is really almost comical, Right? It's, it's a repeat of God, God's people over and over, even from the Garden of Eden, God's people doubting the promises of God. Where is God? Is he really good? Is he really just? God has been just. His nature is merciful and gracious, forgiving iniquity and sin, and yet he will by no means clear the guilty. His character is defined as justice. And we've seen that over and over and over again from the garden to, 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 to Moses and the Ten Commandments to, to David to all through the Old Testament we've seen God's justice, His mercy, His grace, and yet He does not clear the guilty. Malachi says, You have wearied the Lord. The people of God, the Lord is exhausted from his continual pursuit of his people and their continued lack of trust in this great God of creation, the God who rescued them from Egypt, the God who has made a nation from one man, the God who established them a kingdom and a king. And a city in whom he's placed his name and a place in which he dwells among them, the temple. He has restored all of those things back 
to their place, and yet they say, where is the God of justice? She say, how have we wearied him? The conversation goes on. We're, we're not really sure what you're talking about. You see, the current economic condition and social status was not like the days of Solomon. It was not the best. And they looked around and the people thought to themselves, why are some of the nations who do not obey God seemingly look blessed while we struggle? They're looking around to others and going, well, why isn't God judging them? He's, he's judging us. I mean, we're, we're still not in great shape here. Why is he not doing that with them? You see, there's an air of ungratitude and pride here. As the people are going around looking, where is the God of justice? And in turn saying, why am I not blessed? And they're overlooking their own egregious sins. Does God not care about our small decisions? Hmm. You see, Malachi tells us that's exactly what the people were doing. The people were offering their sacrifices to God. They were doing their religious duty. But guess what? They were offering their leftovers and their sacrifices to God. Malachi 1.13 says this, But you say, what a weariness is this, how hard this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or is sick, and, and this you bring as an offering? Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Why are you bringing me these, these offerings of sick and blind animals? Things that just happen to die in your pasture, you're just bringing me the leftovers. Am I not a great king, says the Lord of hosts? My name will be feared among the nations. You know, we understand this. In today's world, we don't offer our livestock as a sacrifice to the Lord. It's a picture of the cross of Christ, right? The sacrificial system all pointing us to the cross of Christ. But we don't offer those things because Christ has been sacrificed on the cross for our sin. What do we offer to the Lord? We offer our lives as living sacrifices to the Lord. I wonder if you're giving the Lord your first and your best. Your life. Or are you just going through the motions? Is your time in the Word just another thing to roll through? Or is it Spent in sweet communion with the great God of heaven and earth. Early in the morning, your first and your best. Is your life spent in prayer and fasting and looking to the Lord? Or is it just whatever you have left over? The people were asking for the God of justice, looking at everyone else's sin, 
but didn't even realize their own sin. We do this, right? We do this often. Verse 1, behold, this is God's answer to the question. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you will seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, this is kind of a little bit difficult to understand because God is moving and shaking here with multiple things happening. But as best we can understand, there are three individuals in this verse. One, who is the I. Behold, I send my messenger. At the end, he identifies himself as the Lord of hosts, says the Lord of hosts. So the I is the Lord of hosts, who I believe is God the Father. And then there is this my messenger who prepares the way for the Lord. And the New Testament identifies this man as John the Baptist. Matthew This is referencing Isaiah chapter 40. Here Malachi is referencing Isaiah chapter 40. But Matthew says that this is John the Baptist. Matthew 11.10. This is of whom it is written. Behold I send my messenger before your face. Who will prepare your way before you. John the Baptist we know will be the next prophet Jesus will call him the greatest prophet as he will prepare the people to receive the Messiah. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. And then you have this figure called the Lord and the Lord whom you seek. And we think that this is paired, the Lord whom you seek, with the messenger of the covenant. And this Lord whom you seek seems to be the owner of the temple. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. He is interchangeable with the me in the first sentence, but instead of saying I, the Lord says the Lord whom you seek The God of justice is coming suddenly to his temple and he will be the messenger of the covenant. They say, the people at this time said, we are God's people. We are the covenant people of God. We deserve the blessings of God. We will delight in the messenger of the covenant Yet God's people, and this is, this is where he's referencing here, God's people have broken their covenant faithfulness. So the messenger of the covenant is coming to a people who have not upheld the covenant. And he's coming to his temple. And Malachi says, the reason I know that you are not faithful in your covenant is because you're not faithful in your own covenant with your wives. 
This is what he says in Malachi 2.13. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and your wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Mm. The faithful Lord is coming to his temple as a messenger of a covenant to an unfaithful people. And he describes their unfaithfulness through their marriage. Now, I I could probably preach this section for another hour, but we would not be able to beat the Methodist out of here. So we cannot do that. But the issue here in which Malachi is referencing to is the issue the people were self-centered. There was a problem in this day and age and they were willing to divorce their lives because they wanted foreign women. You see, their marriage was supposed to reflect God and his covenant faithfulness, his oneness, and also to produce godly offspring. And God says, you have made it about you and your wants and your desires. You have become unfaithful. In your marriages and a result, you're unfaithful to your God. You see, marriages that are self-centered will not glorify God. Marriages built on anything else besides glorifying God will be chaos. Problems in our marriage is often a reflection of a deeper heart issue and often begins with a self-centered mindset rather than a God-centered mindset. That's all I'm going to say right now. So the messenger of the covenant, he is coming to do what? To fulfill the covenant. That Israel was unfaithful to and to present a perfect spotless sacrifice on behalf of God's people in which they were unwilling to present to the king, God himself. So, here we are in verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. This is, this is point number two. The Lord purifies his people. So the Lord of justice is coming. 
right? Justice we see upon the cross, the wrath of God poured out upon Christ that was deserving for us. And now the Lord purifies his people. You see, the process of purification which is mentioned here in chapter 3 is when fire is heated so hot that the metal, in this case silver and, and gold, becomes liquefied. And the impurities float to the top of the liquid. And the refiner comes and he skims off the impurities. And then the process, once it is complete, the metal is free of the impurities. And therefore, the metal now is of greater worth and usefulness for the one who has refined it. The fuller's soap is that which cleanses or bleaches the garment, rendering those garments white or clean. And this is what the Lord will do when he comes into his temple. The messenger of the covenant will bring about a new covenant. He will fulfill the old, providing the new for his people. But who can stand when he appears? The people know they have fallen short. How will they survive the intense heat? Will they be burned up by the wrath of the living God as he comes down? I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We, we, we learned that as little kids growing up. They don't bow down to the idol, which King Nebuchadnezzar builds. But in faith, they trust God alone for their own salvation in their life. And in, in the story, the king turns the fiery furnace up so hot that the guards who are carrying Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego die as, as they're entering into the furnace. The heat will surely incinerate them. They will surely be burned. But then the king says, I see a fourth person walking among Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who is the fourth person? It looks like the son of the gods. So interesting. That picture for us. That Christ walks with us into the fiery furnace so that we are not consumed. Mm. Instead of being burnt up, we are purified, made holy. For what reason? So that we can bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Verse 3. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old. 
as in former years. Have you ever thought about that? God cleanses you of your unrighteousness. He pays for your sin upon the cross. He removes all your stains so that you can be pleasing unto the Lord. Your righteousness, His creation, is now pleasing to Him. Again, God saved you for His glory, not for your glory, His glory. So the one who takes away our sin, who washes us white as snow, took the very wrath of God so that we can be made clean. We who could not stand in the presence of God has taken our place. And now his blood has cleansed us to make a people who are holy to our God. Revelation chapter 7, 9 gives us this beautiful picture. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, cleansed with the fuller soap, refined in the, in the fire, with palm branches in their hands, crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And later on, verse 13, then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Amen? God himself has made you clean. Where is the God of justice? He's at the cross. Look at what God does here. or Look at what Malachi does here. The Lord uses the term the sons of Levi. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Who are the sons of Levi? The priests. We talked about this a lot last week in Zechariah, but we were created to be a kingdom of priests. And we offer our lives to the Lord and worship to the God who is worthy of our life. And we do this, why? Because he has cleansed us through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the baptism of fire that comes about when God removes the sin and his presence comes to dwell among his people. The refiner's fire, the Holy Spirit coming upon his people and cleansing us, transforming us to be like Christ. Guess what? The Lord is coming to his temple. He is. The tongues of fire came down upon the apostles at Pentecost, representing the idea that God is now coming to his people. The Holy Spirit is now refining his people to be more like Christ, to cleanse his people through the blood of the cross, and now the Lord takes up residence in his church, in his people. You see, the Lord may be refining you today. He may be heating up your life only to reveal some of the impurities that he wants the Spirit to cleanse in your life. 
Do not quench the Spirit. Do not grow cold or hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and nullify the work of God in your life. Church, God wants to transform every aspect of your life, your mind, your heart, your desires, to be like Christ. Oh, by the way, when we're talking about offerings here, so that they would bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord, the people were struggling in their offerings to the Lord in Malachi's day. Verse 4 is contrasted. The offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and former years is contrasted by Malachi 3, 8. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby Put me to the test, says the Lord, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. The people felt as if God didn't care about their tithe. Malachi says this is not the case. The Lord sees his people He knows our hearts. He desires for us to reflect his glory even in our tithe, which is just a tenth. It's a great place to start if you haven't started there. But again, just like marriage and tithing, that's not the point of today's passage. Verse 5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker for his wages, the widow, the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed." The Lord will judge those who do not fear him. This is our third point this morning. The Lord will judge those who do not fear him. Proverbs tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Which means when someone fears the Lord, they act according to his purpose and plan. Just like Avery going to her bed. They know who this God is and they obey. They obey his commands. They stand in awe and reverence of the glory of God and are willing and willing to submit their life to him. And who is this God? This God who is just, who is gracious and forgiving, but by no means will clear the guilty. I, I, I read this text 
Verse 6, let me read it for you one more time. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. When you read Malachi, you see all of the failures of God's people, and you think they are deserving of the judgment and wrath of God. And yet, God says, you are not consumed, O children of Jacob. Why? Because the cross of Christ allowed those who are his people, the children of Jacob, to be saved. Why? Because of his steadfast love. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. His steadfast love, nothing that you have done to deserve God's salvation. But those who have rejected God's provision for salvation, who do not fear the Lord, they will face his judgment. Verse 5. Malachi gives a list of those whose heart has grown cold. They have gone against the Lord and his commands. Rather than being refined, they are burned up. The adulterers, the sorcerers, those who swear falsely, those who oppress the hired workers, the wages, the widow, the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner or the foreigner. And do not fear me, says the Lord. The reality is God wants salvation. He wants all men to be saved and yet... He does not clear the guilty. So if you do not have the covering of the blood of Christ, you enter in to the refiner's fire without covering. Church, today we face the same issues as in the day of Malachi. When they awaited his first coming, but we await the return when all things will be made right. Will we be complacent in our worship? Will we be self centered in our marriages? Will we give for the glory of God or will we live? For ourself? Will we allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in our life, or will we harden our heart and quench the Spirit's desire to change our mind and our hearts and our actions? You see, the Christ is coming. He ends in chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of their fathers and their children's and their hearts of their children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That's the last verse of the Old Testament. That's what the people hear is that word destruction, which is in the Hebrew curse. 
But God says he's sending Elijah. And the day of the Lord is coming where he will pour out his wrath upon Christ, upon the cross, for the salvation of us. God sure does love you. He died for you. How do you respond to that? Romans 12, 1, this is what I'll end with. Christ has come. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, the Lord wants to refine his church, his people, to look like Christ so that his name can go to the nations, and that his glory will, will fill the earth. May we be a people who respond, who not say, where is the Lord? But look at the Lord and what he has done. We await his coming again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth in Malachi as it challenges our hearts and minds to respond to you in every area of our life. Father, we know that there are people here who are hurting. Who feel as if the Lord is not close. That he has abandoned them. And Father, help us to see the truths of Scripture. To understand your love for us. That you would be willing to come down from heaven to die on a cross for salvation. That you would cleanse us from our sin and we would be made right with the Holy God. That you would give us the Holy Spirit to transform our minds, our bodies to be like Christ. That you would give us the church, the people of God to encourage one another to look like Christ, that you would see the body of Christ as the people, that Christ has not abandoned us, that he lives in and through his people and through your word. Lord, give us the strength that we need to endure this wicked world as we look to your second coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.